Hello and welcome back to the Hotcast. As usual, it's me, James Rushton, Danny Riser over there going through the latest and greatest in Aston Villa news. Last time out, Villa beat Blackburn 2-1. Bit of a tense game, Danny, I thought. Yeah, it was tense. It is tense. It's always when you're when you're one goal up with, with sort of like twenty minutes left to go, especially when the team sort of scores a goal around the seventieth minute. Uh, it's always tense. That or that's almost seems to be the sweet spot, doesn't it? If you if you're gonna come back into a game when you're two 0 down, score around about the seventieth minute because uh, you basically don't give the give the opposition any time to to rest. And I think that's that's what uh, Blackburn did to us, really. Well, I think all of our predictions were pretty positive. We didn't catch up to preview this game. I did it on the uh, the Villa view, actually, and I was rather positive going into it. Blackburn, of course, sinking without Trace. Um, I think that's no win in 10 now for them. Um, so they had something to prove going into this. So I thought there is always a potential for a banana skin. I think the point I made was they made a record loss last season in League One. They missed out the tit- on the title in that league to Wigan. And now they're dropping without a trace. They're probably not going to get relegated, but I think with all the money they kind of spent or lost, it'd be embarrassing to finish even two places above the relegation zone, especially embarrassing to finish under Wigan. If that's a possibility at this point, it does look like it is going to be. No, I don't think it'd be embarrassing. I don't think it'd be embarrassing. I think it would be. Do you reckon? I mean, like they they they, they haven't really solided themselves up as a championship team yet. I think if they stay up, I think they'll be happy. But I think I I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Like you know, they've got they've got guys like Bradley Dak in there who they're going to need to try and hold on to if they're gonna if they're gonna progress. And I guess they are a pretty big club, aren't they? I guess when you look at when you look at uh, the other teams around in the championship. So my my general point was they spent around sixteen times more than Rotherham or lost sixteen times more money than yeah, Rotherham. I suppose. So I if suppose. they were to finish, if Rotherham were to go down, finishing twenty second, and God forbid Blackburn were to finish twentieth or twenty first, that'd be pretty poor. They are. They are. Eight points above Wigan, so it can still happen. But they need to start winning, and they only look like they was going to edge towards a point about ten minutes from the end of yesterday's match. Do you know what's funny though? They don't. They don't look like an awful team. No, I don't. I, um, I, ju- I, ju- I think they're just suffering from like mediocrity syndrome. Don't you think? Yeah, I think that's definitely a point to make because I did want to speak about Bradley Dak, and I think we'll go on to that. But Villa hammered. Blackburn for the first first half definitely they're all over them. Oh yeah, and yeah. I think it was a bit too of a too much of a faint touch around the box. Villa's goal first goal of course coming from Anwar Al Ghazi who finds space in the box. And I thought, hang on, he's shooting here. He's going for that. He doesn't shoot. He uh, it's really unselfish. He lays it off to Tammy Abraham. He just taps it in. Do you know what? It sounds kind of silly, but like I think that was probably one of my favourite assists this season, purely because of the way that he controlled it with his shoulder. I guess it wasn't anything which was ridiculously skillful about it or anything ridiculously special, but it just looked so silky. And it just looked so... It was just very pretty to watch. The way that McGinn basically curled that ball over to him, and he just... He just tapped it slightly with his left shoulder to the point where he knew exactly uh, where where he was guiding the ball. And that little that little dink, that little pass was just perfect in the end. But yeah, I really enjoyed Anwar Al-Ghazi's assist with that. I don't know about you. So Anwar Al-Ghazi, I think this has been a topic on the whole casting before. He's grown in confidence. And look, he's pushing um, um, Andre Green at the side. Are you actioning the option to buy him? Al-Ghazi, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's, what is it? I might be totally wrong here. I think it's in the ballpark of about five point five million or something, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds about right. Something, something like five or six million. Yeah, take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if we go up, and and even even if we don't, like that's 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 a very that's a that's a very good transfer fee for somebody as good as him. Like you've got to remember that Algarzi is he's, he's he's been there and done that in a way. You know, he's always he's, he's always been sort of like seen as a as an up and coming winger. And I think you know, at twenty three years old. Um, would be would be very very silly not to get him. 
Um, obviously, you know, you'd think that having been at Ajax, having been at Lille, you know, might have been able to push on and go to a Champions League style side or Europa League sort of um, sort of side. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, he's, he's, he's a class above what exists in the Championship. Um, and, you, and you can see that. You can see that in the way that he plays. You know, his first touches are, are, are ridiculous. And when he wants to turn up, he really can. I think the one thing that El Ghazi does lack at the moment, though, is we don't really see him grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck and, uh, and, and saying, right, this game is mine in the same way that John McGinn maybe does or in the same way that Tammy Abraham perhaps has. And I think that's the only thing that's lacking from him at the moment. You know, if he can, if he can replicate what uh, Albert Adoma did for us last season, I think that would be the sign of a of a top class player, but I'd take him. What about you? Um, yeah, I think the only issue is Andre Green, who of course is forced out onto the the right hand side, looks a lot poorer on that side. Uh, I mean, you think about team dynamics, and you think Andre Green has to play on the left, but maybe he can eventually learn to play on the right, especially if we're going to lose Albert Adoma at the end of the season. It's going to have to be a conversation we have, we well the team has internally. But I think Andre Green has a lot to offer on the left hand side, but then you bring Al Ghazi in. And you have to force him onto his weaker side because he can't. He, he seems like he cannot play. He can make space, but when it comes to actual execution of or delivering crosses or taking a shot, he has to use his right foot, which I think is his weaker foot. So no, I'm pretty sure it's. I'm pretty sure it's stronger. Uh, his right foot. Well, either way, he didn't he? Doesn't look good on the right. No, he likes cutting in. I think. I think that's the thing with with Andre Green. I think he's always he's always been used to that. And what I think it's quite funny, isn't it? Like it's it's very very funny how 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 wingers almost seem to be. A lot of wingers, anyway, seem to be more uncomfortable on that uh, on on their on their on the side, same side as their stronger foot. It certainly never used to be the case when I started watching football and seeing the four four twos. That's why um, you wanted the the left foot on the left side, almost. Or I don't see why that wouldn't still be the case. But I mean, it, it worked for Villa last season when you had the uh, you know the inverted wingers. We put Albert Adoma on the uh, left hand side, and yeah, uh, yeah. Snodgrass on well, it was Snodgrass on the the right, and they both cut in on their uh, yeah. other foot. But yeah, he is right footed, and he's on the left. I think it's just a bit of balance that needs to be worked out then with that. But um, if he can learn that right hand position on the uh, the right wing, I'd be very happy with that. Look, I think I'd be su- superbly happy. Exactly, and I think the, the 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 other thing with that is he might he might well learn to cross a bit better. And I think we've got to remember as well for for Andre Green, this is the first time he's really getting picked consistent consistently for Villa. So whether it's on the left hand side or the right hand side, um, it's it's going to be incredible experience for him. Uh, and to be fair to him as well, I think he's I think he's starting to look better every time he plays out there. I thought even against Blackburn, he he did put in some good crosses. Uh, a few that perhaps didn't quite make it or or, or, or missed our, our players very slightly, but he did put in a couple of very dangerous ones. Um, but I, I think as it is at the moment, Andre Green and uh, Anwar Al-Ghazi, I don't know if you'll agree with me, they are our best swingers. And I guess if if that's what we're going to have to do, if we're going to have to put Al-Ghazi on the left-hand side so that he's a little bit more dominant, so be it. Yeah, fair. I think that's fair. Andre Green's got plenty of time to learn. It just depends if Villa can afford him this time, especially when there's a lot to play for now. So Tammy gets that first goal. Villa's second goal, it comes a bit later on. It's actually Tyrone Mings who heads him. It's a bit of a soft header. He hits the floor and goes in after Villa um, kind of fumbled a corner. But Tyrone Mings has, has grown and grown and grown. And Gareth Southgate was at that match yesterday, right? And I'm pretty sure he's there to watch one man only, and that's Jack Grealish. But if Tyrone Mings is to continue developing and playing at the level he's playing 
and he does end up in the Premier League next season, I'm thinking there is an England player in him. Easy. Oh yeah. Well, I think I think he's always had issues with with injuries, hasn't he? I think that's what's always stunted him. And when he came up from the Championship with Bournemouth, I always thought of him as as one of the players that was going to kick on, one of one of Bournemouth's top guys, really, um, because I think historically uh, England have seemed to have been starved of left backs. Um, and that's that's the position he was playing for Bournemouth at that point. But I, th- I think you can see that the class is there. He's all he's when he's he's played most of his career in the Championship, and he's always been an upcoming player. I think he was he was at Ipswich for a very long time, um, and I think a few seasons there. Yeah, fair few seasons at Ipswich, did very well over there, and then again came up with Bournemouth. And I think when when you see what he's what he's doing at Villa at the moment, he's he's made that defense look so much stronger. And I think it is definitely his. Um, I think it is in it is his influence as well as Courtney Houses. Don't get me wrong, but I think it is mainly his influence because it almost seems like we've got another leader there. He's not John Terry in terms of leadership, but he's we we, we definitely have another leader in him there, and the way that. Uh, he always wants to be first to the header. Um, is is brilliant, and I think he's almost seems to be as well. I don't know if you'll agree with me again, but I think that he's our most dangerous defender from the box since Martin Larson. Yeah, he can get his head on the ball, and he's he's, he's almost like not afraid to to knock it down for another player as well. You know, he he always knows what he's going to do because he's so confident of winning the ball in the air. I think we have been a better side for Tyrone Mings, and of course, it opens up difficult. Co- conversations about the lineup of our defence. But so be it, you know, if you want to get into this defence, you've got to step up and play seriously hard. And that is a question that Axel Twanzabi and James Chester now need to answer. They've got to find a way back into this. I'm pretty sure James Chester automatically goes back in, but Twanzabi started on the bench yesterday for Villa. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, there's room for him, surely, but it's a, it's a hard conversation to have when those back two, especially are playing so well. Okay, but if I'm if I'm Dean Smith... Why would I want to split up Hausen and, and Mings right now? What they conceded? Oh. They conceded like one goal together. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe yeah. two. Yeah, at most. That push. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, Chester's our captain, but what? Like, why? Why? Why do you upset the balance right now? That's the thing. Like these guys are pretty pretty hard to beat. No, they are hard to beat, and you're right because Courtney House was brought in house I'm still unsure on how to sell. I'm pretty sure it's horse. But um really hard to set up split up and I think um James Chester and Tonzebi are gonna have a, a hard time getting back into this team if Dean Smith does want to stick with these two at the back because even though Horse is on his uh, weaker side on the uh, the right hand side, he's still playing there and he's still he's still doing still doing very well. And I think he's really making a name for himself in that spot. Um I think eventually he's gonna go back to left back because James Chester is probably walking straight back into this team. I think, but it is, it's going to be a hard conversation to have because they have been playing so, so well. And look, Villa were 2 0 up. Mm. Blackburn, they took Bradley Dak off right. And I thought, that is their number 10. That is the magic man. That is the best player in their side. They've took him off and now they've started playing the ball on the floor. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit weird, wasn't it? It was a bit weird. (laughs) Well, the tone actually was set because Bradley Dak, well, you know, Jack Grealish, he he attracts a foul or two. Bradley Dak's a number 10. You know, if we want to relate the two players, yeah. Jack Grealish went for him twice in the first five minutes, took him down. Wow! Like, <laughs> so the tone was set there because Grealish was almost forced more defensively. He he weren't from my eyes, especially. I haven't looked at the back of the highlights, but from the from the pitch and the notes I made mentally, it didn't seem like Jack Grealish was incredibly involved on the ball. 
for Villa. Like he had his chances, but I don't think with Southgate there watching on specifically for him, I think we can say, yeah, I think he'd be a bit disappointed at not having a nine out of 10 game. Oh, I agree. I agree. Cause he, he was okay. But he was good. He was good. He was. He played well, but he he, he wasn't. He wasn't as good as John McGinn. <laughs> and yeah, and even think... and John McGinn made a few mistakes, right? Like we can say he made a few mistakes, but John McGinn again is able to somehow just have so much impact on the game. Yeah, but I think I think I think Gareth Southgate is a smart man. I think he's a smart man. I think he knows that you know you can't judge jack grealish off the basis of that one game it was an ugly championship game against an ugly championship team and sometimes that's what has to happen you know especially if we're in the middle of like a five game run it's the first game back from the international break as well so you have to yes. take into account that jack grealish hasn't played any competitive football in the last two weeks uh whereas you know, in fact a lot of the players on that pitch will have done you know john mcginn jack, um glenn whelan Anwar Ghazi all would have played international football in the last in the last week or so. Yeah, I believe so. I've definitely uh, McGinn and Whelan. Let's go on to Whelan actually, because thank God he's been capped for Ireland a fair few times. Because I think Gareth Southgate will be looking at converting him next, because that was a uh, another <laughs> tremendous, tremendous performance from Glenn Whelan, who has went from strength to strength. Who scored? And this is why I don't like the who scored ratings. It, it doesn't rate him at all. He was dominant. You know, if we're gonna congratulate John McGinn on an excellent performance, then Glenn Whelan needs to have just as much plaudits, man. I think he was incredible. He was involved in all stages of the game and his work rate, God forbid, put everyone else to shame. It was all over, bags of energy, even in the 95th minute. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, let me just correct myself very quickly as well, by the way. El Ghazi is Dutch. I completely forgot that. He, he was definitely was not in, definitely was not in international, <laughs> international uh contention but yeah Glenn Whelan yeah he's, he was he was he was good he was good he was okay I mean he what what seems to have happened with, with Glenn Whelan is he almost seems to play this sort of lateral role where he's running horizontally throughout the game and he's he's cleaning up isn't he? he's almost he's almost following the shape of that uh, of 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 the formation isn't he? he's almost following um Grealish and McGinn and just keeping behind them and he's just ready for whenever the ball kind of drops back to him and he and he was spraying passes around as well and I, I think I think we've almost got ourselves a little Irish pillow in him <laughs> at the moment, um, which is ridiculous considering the amount of stick you know we were giving him uh, at the start of the season. I think it's a shame, obviously, the direction Villa are going in because he's 35 now and Villa probably aren't going to offer him a new contract. And there is a part of me now that that is a damn shame. That is a damn shame. Villa are going to have to find a way. to. I'm pretty sure Villa can replicate the situation without him. The playing situation that is, but you know, it's hard to let these players go, especially when they're going out on a swan song like Glenn Wheeler. Right, here's something for you then. Right, during the international break, there was reports coming out that Berkia Bjarnason didn't want to leave Villa and he wanted to fight for his place, right? When he played last season, was he not playing a very similar role to what Glenn Whelan is playing now? I know he hasn't been able to replicate it yet. But could he not be the answer? It depends if he's uh, if he's forced out by Villa. Villa need to make a lot of changes in the summer, and, looks, and you know Glenn Whelan's going to have to take a hell of a pay cut, an undeserved pay cut, may I add? Um, so it is going to be tough, and I think Bjarnason's another player that we're paying a fair chunk of money to that he's just going to be up for the chop because Villa will probably be looking deeper at Jake Doyle's or even a, a cheaper you know European signing to bring in. It's going to be tough. It's going to be you know a tough question to answer, but I think. Bjarnason probably isn't getting to this team. Um, now, 
it's it's very hard. It's very, very it's going to be very hard for even Yedinak, who has been nothing but a, you know a fantastic servant to this club to even get back into the team. So, Bjarnason's got a hell of a task on. And look, there's Tom Carroll as well, who we, we we've barely seen. <laughs> he should be, you know, he's, he's going to be there or you know thereabouts. You know my thoughts but on that signing. It, it's tough. It's 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 a tough. It's a really tough tough ask for any midfielder now. And Glenn Whelan is clearly holding on to that position with both hands. I think. Villa will rotate. Like Bjarnason's probably going to get more game time. Um, Horahan's probably going to get more, more than Bjarnason. But there's definitely space for the, the rotation. But I don't see many players getting more than twenty minutes. Well, there's no space you know, for rotation good. right now. Not not with the playoff places as as uh, difficult to hold on to as they are. I mean, there's a few kind of compact. The schedule gets kind of compact. Like you go to Sheffield Wednesday, then you go to Rotherham, then you have Bolton and. Millwall over a weekend it's uh there's definitely room for rotation it's just whether these players actually want to be rotated you know what I mean they want to be the star Janison especially in the playoff final last season was gagging to get on the pitch he wanted to fight for Villa and now we're in this really nice situation where everyone who's on the pitch has earned that position they're keeping that position Mm, that's true that's true yeah, I feel that. But yeah, uh, Blackburn didn't offer much. Um, when they st- they started playing it on the uh, the floor when Dak went off, which was a, a strange decision, but it, they were much better for it. They put one past Jed Steer, which has went down as an error. And I've heard a lot of conflicting reports on this. Uh, the goal we conceded, so the the one in the two one. Yeah. Um, Jed Steer faces the ball. It's a routine free kick. It's hit at him. And he cuts across and has to dive back on himself. And all he can do is kind of clear it into the path of the uh, on-running striker there. It was a bit... <laughs> it was Amari Bell, of course, who's coming from left back to score. I don't know. I really don't know where I stand with it, mate. Because I've heard people say, and these were people sitting directly behind Jed Steer, that have said the ball wobbled at the last instant and he did, he did well to get to it in the first place. But then I'm thinking, all he had to do to save it was stand still, right? Yeah, it's almost it's a bit weird that he takes that sidestep when when was it Mulgrew that took the shot? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, who's backed the assist? Um, yeah, I think it yeah. may have been Mulgrew. Yeah, he's, 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 he's sidestepped, and you're you're right. He's then kind of gone, oh no, right? And he's basically tried to save that ball against the velocity of his of his um of his movement, basically. So he's gone to one side <laughs> and he's basically trying to save it from sort of like without backtracking on himself. So, yeah, it was it was going to be difficult for him as soon as he took the sidestep. I think the whole point is, you're, you're right, he should have stood still. He shouldn't have taken that step. Um, it was pretty poor keeping in the end. Um, but like, yeah, whenever you parry the ball forward like that as a goalkeeper, you're asking for danger especially after a free kick, because you know after a free kick, the forwards are just storming in. That's what you, that's what you do. That's what you do, you know? You, you, as, as soon as there's a deflection, somebody's got getting on the end of that. It's a bit of a rough one for him. But anyway, we'll talk about that more because I'm bringing on Cole in a minute. You know, we had on a few weeks ago, and he's yeah, yeah. wanting to come onto the show to speak about goalkeepers. So actually, we'll head over now to speak to Cole. So I'm going to have to bench you for a few minutes, Dan. I'm bringing in my next <laughs> guest, Cole Petham, of course, to speak on... I'll speak about the uh, Villa goalkeeping situation. It's uh, it's definitely a conversation that's opened up in the past day. Um, Jed Steer seemed to have it locked down, but uh, a mistake, you know, it's uh, there's, there's slim margins here for errors. 
Navilla team. Um, so, Cole, how are you doing? I'm pretty well yourself. Oh, good, man. So it's been a few weeks since you've been on. I'm definitely enjoying it a lot more since you've come on. It's been a bit of a good look, you know. We've come back after the international break and nothing stumbled up. Last time I spoke to you, and um, we were talking about the Middlesbrough game. But today you've come on to the podcast to talk about the Aston Villa goalkeepers, specifically the depth chart. It's, uh, you know, the roster and squad depth there. It's a bit odd at the moment. I think in the last match, Jed Steer has made a quote-unquote error. So, you know, we was heading into this conversation anyway to talk about the goalkeepers, but now it's a much more intriguing discussion, right? Oh, exactly. And this is something we were kind of been talking about um, planning to really record for a couple of weeks now. Um, it's interesting when you look at Villa's keepers probably within the last five years. We have technically four keepers that, well, three at least you could clarify as uh, starters, and then Mark Bunn, which classifies as something, I guess. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting to see, especially um, with the amount of appearances each has made, and just, I guess, each goalkeeper in my mind, they kind of represent a different part of the season and the mentality and how it's went. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's quite odd, because obviously we signed Nyland to, to start, then we signed Kalinic to start, and we had Steer all along, who started the first game of the season, was obviously loaned out to Charlton. But it's been really weird because we brought Steer back when we brought Kalinic in because Nyland was injured. But we could have just, you know, boosted Mataja Sarkic up to a bench spot or even Mark Bunn. We didn't have to go through with the Jed Steer recall or even the Kalinic purchase. We, there was a lot of options we had, but it seems like we went the whole hog and we brought in a number of first-choice keepers. And, you know, if you consider bringing back Jed Steer, that's bringing someone new almost. It's like a new signing almost, even though he played the first game of the season. We've made a lot of, I wouldn't say rash moves, but we've made a lot of serious moves with our goalkeeping department. And it's uh, it doesn't look like it's going to change because, you know, those serious moves will continue. You've got to move one of these keepers on now at the end of the season. One of them has to leave because there's just not enough room for three first-choice goalkeepers in this squad. And, you know, what that does for squad dynamics is, I don't know. It, it seems like a really difficult situation. What's your take on the, the entire entire thing, the holistic thing? It's weird because if you look at their ages, and I'm honestly, I'm hoping this is still accurate, um, I think, what, Nyland and Kalinic are, what, 27, 28, roughly. Um, Jed Steers, 25, um, I'm not going to count Mark Bunn because his contract's up at the end of the season, I believe. So we all know he'll probably be gone. And if somehow he does stay on, it's just for a depth role to sit there, essentially. Um, but yeah, it's weird to see three goalkeepers in the relative same age somewhat. Um, but I mean, with Jed Steer, we've technically invested quite a bit in him. We didn't buy him for very much, but it, it honestly seems like he's been around for 20 years. Obviously, he hasn't, but it's been that long that you think... We bring them back when we just signed a, st a clear starter in everyone else's eyes. We bought Kalinich for, what, seven, eight million. So spending that in the January window especially um, obviously was kind of obvious given Nyland's injury. Um, so you'd think he's the clear number one, but Jed Steer's keeping him out. And I think especially after yesterday's game where I didn't think Steer had the best game, it kind of makes me wonder... Do you stick with him or do you go back to Kalinic? What do you think on that one? It's tough because Kalinic had a pretty dodgy international break by all accounts. Um, pretty much single-handedly responsible for Croatia dropping a game and losing to Hungary in that, you know, um, Euro 2020 qualifier match. They, they lost 2-1 to Hungary and Kalinic is pretty much responsible for both goals. The first one, he comes out, well, the first one slips underneath him 
and the other one, he comes out for a corner and gets completely caught out. Then when we return to action, he's not even in the team at all or on the squad. It's Sarkic on the bench and Judge steering goal. And it's it's a pretty difficult conversation because you can't keep cutting and changing these keepers because it rocks their confidence. I'm pretty sure Jed Steer's pretty locked up in that department. He's he's went through a lot at Aston Villa alone. But, you you know, we don't know Kalinic enough and we keep in, you know, we bring him in, bring him out, bring him in, bring him out. And he was signed for a pretty hefty sum to be the guy. And now he's not the guy and he's not the guy, you know, increasingly for his national team, he's dropping the ball on a national, international level. So it's pretty, it's a pretty difficult conversation. I think, honestly, I think we see Jed Steer from here on out. Mistake yesterday was pretty bad against Blackburn. You know, Dean Smith said he could do more. And a lot of people have come to me and said, I think it's a bit harsh, but it seemed a bit dodgy. No matter the wobble on the ball, his job is to to be there and stop that. That's the one job we rely on from our goalkeepers is to stop the unstoppable. And sometimes, yeah, they're going to get beat by world-class efforts. And sometimes the wobble of the ball or the curve of the ball is going to do them. But if we're too nil up against Blackburn and coasting, it's one of those that brings the other team back into the game, right? Oh, exactly. And it's kind of funny to think about that now because... If you go back to yesterday's game very briefly, obviously there was that wobble for their own goal through Bell. Um, but the only other really mistake that really was pointed out in my eyes, um, I think it was from a cross and it just went right over his head and he tried to jump for it and completely missed it on the punch. And obviously I think Lenahan missed that completely. Um, so it just went out for a goal kick. Um I guess it's things like that where people are so easy to jump on him and say, oh, he's making a mistake here and there because he's under a microscope because for some odd, strange reason, the goalkeeping situation is the hottest topic right now, which I never thought in a million years it would be. Um, But yeah, it's strange to think that. And I think he's just under this pressure because we spent so much in January on a keeper that everyone thought oh he's an international keeper um that has to mean something where you know what it it really doesn't because at the end of the day if you're not putting in good performances do you deserve it um I think beyond that it goes to say that if Steer does stay for the rest of the season as a starter um which I think he will um it begs the question of what happens with Kalinic next season? Do we keep him if we go up or down? Um, if we do choose to sell him, what's the value going to be? Because it's not going to be what we put into him. It's clearly going to be a loss. So it kind of ponders the question of poor, I guess, transfer business in that sense. Yeah, well, Villa give a lot of weight to the opinion of their goalkeeping coach, their head goalkeeping coach, of course, Neil Cutler, who come over from West Bromwich Albion. And they give a lot. You know, they give a lot of weight to his opinions and his thought because he backed Jed Steer. And I'm not sure how responsible Dean Smith or Cutler are for the signing of Kalinich. It could be a move that we don't know. We don't know when this move was agreed. It could have been agreed, you know, God knows by Steve Bruce. This could have been sorted before Steve Bruce was back. <laughs> yeah, it would have been crazy. But like, we, we he got rid of Jed Steer, brought in Nyland and possibly brought in Kalinich. I'm not sure what the thinking was there because it was a, that's an expensive move to make. Seven million on a keeper who probably, you know, worst case scenario is for him that he doesn't start another game for Aston Villa. Oh, exactly. And when you look at that too, there's just it makes you wonder what the values of these keepers are gonna be because honestly, in my opinion, no matter if we're in the championship next season or we're in the Premier League somehow next season um, by the playoffs, it just makes you wonder what we're going to do here because 
there are there's a small percentage that think Nyland's a starter. There's a small percentage right now, obviously, that think that Steer's a star, um, a starter. Um, there's another percentage that think Kalinich is a starter. So it makes you wonder within that aspect. But um, it, it's just it's up for debate, really, because if you look at it, there's probably at least 10 million pounds with a goalkeeper sitting here. Um, and really, with that being said, it's almost. It makes you wonder if it could have spent that somewhere else. <laughs> well, I wonder if there's any thinking in the performances of Jed Steer being used to put him in the market. Yeah, I was thinking that too. It's difficult because it's like, if he's worth that much to someone else, he's worth more to us. Um, but then you think of the business side of things where you bought Nyland and Kalinic, and do they have more value to Villa simply because we spent more on them? Because we can't afford, you know, it would represent a massive waste of money. I think it'd be almost 10 million wasted in just two goalkeepers and Nyland was getting better and I think a lot of his best attributes like his distribution his ability to throw it and roll it out quickly to spot a pass and you know his ability on the ball it suits Aston Villa more so than the other keepers but the other goalkeepers seem you know Jed Steer seems to have a lot more you know a better command of his box and a lot more trust in his defenders which Kalinic completely doesn't have and if Kalinic is a better shot stopper than Steer we have got three players who make up one perfect goalkeeper and they're all completely different you couldn't have said that better like it's weird you know what we might as well just morph them into one keeper because we'd probably have the best keeper on our hands here Uh, it's extremely strange when you look at it too I think Kalinic had what um, one clean sheet versus Steer with four so obviously a few of those games, I don't think it really had much to do in my opinion, but uh, no, it's a really, I don't even know how to say it. It's just a, a weird situation. And I, I believe what Kalinich and Nyland have contracts that are on for another, what, three years at least. So it's going to be something where it's a, a give or a go situation. And obviously Nyland was here under Bruce. So maybe the thing, um, the thought process for uh, Smith is, we're just going to get rid of him. He's not what we see as a, a starter here. And I think it's even even better um, conversation if we do get promoted because even at that aspect, are any of these guys good enough for the Premier League? Definitely. I don't know. In terms of goalkeeping, not one of them, in my opinion. Jed Steer is probably the closest, but you do increasingly, you do need a footballer as your goalkeeper because it sorts out a lot of problems. It sorts out the long ball almost entirely. And it allows you to attack quicker. And Neuland, in my money, is the best footballer, but he's not the best goalkeeper we have because that's Kalinic. Kalinic is the best shot stopper, right? He's the best in terms of using your hands. It's Kalinic, but he's made too many errors. You know, in terms of communication, he doesn't trust the defence. He's got he's caught out far too often. And I'm worried about his use of his feet. Then you have Jed. Again, it goes back to that conversation that we have, you know, one perfect goalkeeper out of the three. And that just isn't good enough because, you know, you're talking about Jed Steer being the man, but is he the man at a Premier League level? Do you need to invest again? Or is Kalinic the man? Is he just not good enough now? Does Will he become better? Or is Nolan the man with confidence? Does he become better? And there are just so many questions about this goalkeeper, goalkeeping department. And then you go to Sarkic, the young one. What's his role? Where does he come into this? Because there's just so many questions I have about, about this one department. And... I really doesn't don't know where it ends because we thought Nyland, there's no way that Nyland loses his place. I've stuck with him so much. Then he gets injured and Kalinic comes in and I don't know how he managed to lose his place. 
because he did he had the he went through the concussion protocol right after the head injury against West Brom. Then he never comes back. It's crazy. It's 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 truly weird because when you look at it and of Sarkic as well, so there's five, and no matter the way you look at it. In the summer, it's going to look bad on our part because we're going to have to get rid of, you think, at least two of these five, if not three, and maybe if not more, because depending on what the situation is, where we're at, um, it can be completely different in the summer. So from that perspective, if you're a goalkeeper, it's almost going to beg the question, do you want to come to Villa? Because what's your situation going to be? But at the same time, I think we're much more stable than we were last year. So I think it's just we have so many different keepers from different regimes and now is finally the time where they're just all coming together and it's kind of become a giant cluster. Um, so honestly, I think this is a discussion that just continues on to the summer and into next season, because I don't think we're going to hear the end of it for some time. Do you think it's perhaps too early to judge any of these goalkeepers um, judging from the fact that Sam Johnston was worse than any of them in his first two, three, even four months in the in in the Villa goalposts, you know he was terrible when we signed him in January. I think it was January, must be 2017 now. So it's going quite a, quite a while back. But he wasn't that good, you know. I don't think he that version of Sam Johnston wouldn't have got in. For me, he'd have been our fourth choice out of those lot. Oh, I, I, mean, if it was I agree. Because that's sixth. Is it too early? Do you think to judge any of these goalkeepers, or have we seen enough of some of them? <sighs> That's another tough one. I think we've seen a lot of Nyland to at least get an impression of what he can be. Obviously, it's with any keeper. If you throw a keeper in the net and they haven't started a string of games, they're going in with cold hands. That um, They're not used to that spotlight in that sense where they're not getting consistent game time and featuring consistently in a similar team. Um, so I think with Nyland, we've seen enough to get a sense of what he can be. Um then again, with that, there's a debate because we haven't seen him a ton under Dean Smith because of the injury. Um, with Kalinich, I think he's only played four games, so that's nowhere even near. And with Jed Steer, he's just been a- around for so long that he's been dubbed the future starting goalkeeper for Villa for the last like three to four years. But so has Sarkic, in a sense, too, um, one for the future. So I guess with that being said, I'd roll with Steer and see, see what happens because... Right now, he seems like the best person that can, A, command the box, and he just seems to give us something that we don't ultimately have with the keepers. And I think right now, we're not conceding a lot. We're not uh, taking a lot of shots to actually get on target. Um, If it was different, I probably wouldn't start Steer because he doesn't scream out someone that's going to stop maybe 10 to 15 shots a game maybe that are on target um, if it's in that situation. Um, so I think right now with the, how well the team's playing defensively, I think he fits perfectly. But if we didn't have the defenders that we did, I don't think you see him in goal. It's getting to, it's still completely tough because I think you look at the end of the season, Mark Bunn's gone. Oh yeah. I don't see Villa. There's, there is no way Villa keep that contract on. Um, then it becomes, are you getting rid of Sarkage because you've got too many senior options? Are you getting rid of Steer just because he's been here so long? You know what you've got and you can move him on easily. Neuland and Kalinic are tough ones because I don't see Villa getting anywhere near the money they paid for him. Neuland might be able to hold on to something close to 3 million. There's no way someone buys Kalinic for 7 no million. No way at all. No way. No. Because I think, I think in, in terms of value dropped, Kalinic must have lost a lot. 
oh, he's probably at like, I mean, I'm no expert to say the value of a player, but he's probably at like 4 million now, maybe at the highest, because it's four matches, you can't base that off anyone. And if you are selling him in the summer, what's another club going to say? He's only played maybe after the fact, after the season, maybe he plays a couple more somehow, maybe he played six games. There's no sample size there. so And you can't base off his performance from another club because that's not what other clubs do. So I think either way you look at it, we're probably going to lose some money um, in a situation where, if anything, um, depending on what the financial stability of the club is, which apparently is good, um, I think we still need to make some money. Um, it's just going to be interesting. So overall. I think the tough question to, to pose to you then is... Out of Steer, Sarkic, Nyland, and Kalinic, which two are you disposing of if you're in charge? That's tough. I would... Oh, there's so many different ways you could look at it. Do you go with the player you just invested all this money in? And $7 million in the championship is still a lot, in my opinion, especially on a keeper. Um, so do you stick with someone that you spent a lot of money in? Do you stick with the guy that you bought years ago? invest in his youth and you know what maybe it's coming to fruition now or do you invest in nyland which we've really had all season and he's had his up and downs but and seen was going in an upward trend before he got injured um i think if i'm getting rid of two of the three i'm getting rid of steer and i'm getting rid of nyland just based on the value of the transfer for kalinich you're not going to get anywhere near it and honestly i think it's personally it's a bad it's a bad image on the club, in my opinion, if you let someone like that go so early on. What about you? I'd probably stick with Jed Steer just because, you know, I find it almost the situation almost romantic in the fact that how long he's been he's been at Villa <laughs> and now he's starting like he's the starter. So it's been a long time coming. And I think to be honest, that's the keeper Villa feel most comfortable with. I do think there are qualities to Nyland and Kalinic but I think those would be the two I opt to move on because I think Jed Steer is a low cost option Sarkic is a low cost option you can keep those and you just have to find a way of moving on Nyland and Kalinic easier said than done I think it could easily easily be a situation where we have to get rid of Jed Steer if we can't get rid of uh, Nyland and Kalinic because we've got to find a way to save money and this is a massive hole where we seem to have chucked a fair bit in it's not a massive amount like it's not striker amount or midfielder amount but there's two starting players there in Nolan and Kalinch who are not starting and one of them's fair enough he's injured and we wouldn't be in this situation if he wasn't injured but then we bought Kalinich and it's a, a bit of a trouble it's a bit of a, um, a troubling situation in honesty I mean, if we stay in the championship I think it's a, a fair bit of money to be chucking around two players who won't be oh, playing exactly and even going with that too um, I think sticking with Steer this season makes sense it almost ponders the question of next season. And then, again, it all depends where we are next season because what's if we're staying in the championship, what's our defense going to look like? Are you going to want Steer to lead that if we do have a poor defense? Um, if Chester um, leaves, Haas obviously doesn't resign as a loan or somehow as a permanent, depending on what his fee is. Um, there's a lot of question marks there too. So I think almost unlocking the defense will tell a lot um, of how the goalkeeping situation goes, because I think Kalinich is the better shot stopper, but at the same time, the money he might be on, the fee that it was, um, it, it's going to 
ultimately depend on financial health going into next season. I couldn't have put it better myself. I think it's uh, it's still all up in the air, but I think Villa have created a lot of questions for themselves. Uh, is there anything, uh, any final thoughts you had on the topic before we uh, we move on back to the uh, regular scheduled content of previewing the Sheffield Wednesday uh, no, match? I think that's virtually it. Uh, it's been great to talk to you and uh, look forward to doing it again soon. So yeah, Cole, thank you for coming on. Now, Danny, you're back in the room, mate. Sheffield Wednesday are up next week. It's of course there's a lot of there's a lot at stake here. It's just it could end up being a true six point. And Sheffield Wednesday are probably the last remaining team in the hunt for a playoff place. They haven't lost since mid-January, and they definitely haven't lost since Steve Bruce took over in uh, February. Eleven games, I think it is, and five wins out of those eleven games. Complete turnaround since Yosla Huke was uh, sacked. Um, a weird managerial signing that was. I think they tried to go the whole um, Huddersfield Norwich route, but it completely backfired. Um, there was a lot of off-the-pitch tension, but it seems like Steve Bruce is riding a right optimistic wave right now. Sheffield Wednesday are in the playoff hunt, but they do need to win a lot of games. They have, they basically have a flat-out run of playoff contenders, Preston, um, Villa, of course. I think they've got Bristol, and then of course, I think they've got Leeds and Norwich, who are probably, um, probably going to be uh, first and second come the end of the season. So uh, it's it's going to be a tough game for Villa because Sheffield Wednesday have got a lot to play for all of, all of a sudden. Yeah, they do, and they they're playing very well at the moment as well. I think that's that's the thing. I think Steve Bruce has actually, to be fair to him, done a very good job since coming in. Um, in fact, the thing with the thing with Sheffield Wednesday is they've been in ridiculous form ever since their last manager got sacked. Uh, like I think uh, I, I saw a championship table since he since he got sacked that um, basically Sheffield Wednesday are sort of third in that. So they they they'd be third place since um what, what who was it who was it that got sacked again James Yosla who came yeah, was it um do you think do you think it was more so a case not so I don't want to take anything away from Steve Bruce of course yeah, I yeah think of course it'd be yeah rather aggressive and pointless to do so but do you think it was more so a case of Luhuke holding them back. And Steve Bruce just because like since he's gone, they have done well, and that's before Bruce came in. There's eight wins, eight draws, and a defeat since he's gone. It's incredible. It is. I think they've done marvelously. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were dead and buried, mate, when they had the hookah. I think outside tip for relegation at some point, and they, they've shot right up the table. They've leapfrogged Hall, of course, um, rivals into a uh, the, they're the last team in the playoff hunt because they're from 56 points now. Villa are only on 60, and they're fifth. So there's, there's a, they can make their way into that man. It's too tight, man. It's very tight because like it was, it was, it was only a few weeks ago when we we said that we were basically out of the contention for it. It is very, very tight. Like when you look at that playoff zone, I know where we are fifth at the moment, but when you look at the teams below us, those points and all those like games in hand, it makes it it makes it very difficult. And look, you're right. Like they've got they've got some tough games coming up. You know they've got Forest after us as well. Um, and I, I just think that I can see this one being a draw. Like I, I, I think that I think that Bruce on with Sheffield Wednesday as well has actually got them scoring goals. You remember they scored, they put four plus Blackburn. Um, it's just I think the only the only light that we've got so far is that they were pretty poor against Stoke um, this weekend, uh, and it, where it was nil nil. And you just kind of hope that Bruce kind of shuts down. Against That's us. held them back because a win there would have seen them on fifty eight points. Then a whole run of fixtures that would have seen them play Forest and Villa before Norwich, Leeds, Bristol, and I believe it's Preston. So they've got a full slate of playoff hopefuls. If you know Norwich and Leeds, of course, are well above and beyond that. But that's you know 
it seems like if they want to finish sixth, it's in their hands. Like they can do that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think so too. But I think I I think I think their midfield perhaps isn't quite strong enough, to be honest, to take them to take them to the end of the season. I think they're gonna get in some really rough games. And I think that that is probably what's going to hold them back a little bit. I mean, I mean, with Stoke, you know, they they kind of they had Joe Allen and, and Atibo in there, and like all they really needed to do was kind of hold on to the ball. I mean, Stoke had ridiculously more possession than Sheffield Wednesday. I think it was something like Stoke had sixty three percent of it. Um, Sheffield Wednesday actually only had three shots all game as well. So I think I think if you know how to play against Steve Bruce, you're okay. Um, Look, I like I like I like Hutchinson and I like Barry Bannon in that Sheffield Wednesday team, but I I don't know about you, but I just don't think that the, those two are enough really to take you into the playoffs. I think Barry Bannon's fairly quality, and he I don't think part of a midfield two is his most shining position. He's quite an aggressive player. He's uh picked up their most bookings as well as most of their assists. It's a standard four four two against Stoke. They played with um you know flat back four, uh, two in the middle. Reach and Boyd on the wings, and Gary Hooper and F- Fernando Forestieri up front. I don't, I don't see the quality there. If I'm being honest, like it does seem very, very middle of the pack. Bannon, Forestieri, Reach, of course, fairly good. But elsewhere, where's where's it coming from, man? Villa have got Villa can can gun them out. It's going to be hard because it's away. It's going to be hard because Steve Bruce clearly has something to prove. And Sheffield Wednesday want the win, but I think Villa Villa have still got stuff to play for. They're not going to be w- treating this game as a walkover. No, no, definitely not. And look, look, they've got a very good defense, Sheffield Wednesday. You know, that's that's a very that's a very strong defense they've got there. I mean, they've got Dominic Yorfer, who was being talked about um, a couple of years ago, especially when he's at Wolves. You've got Lees and Hector, and then Palmer as well at left back. You know, they've got they've got a good defense, and I think that's their shining light. Barry Bannon really is just a flash, John McGinn. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, he's good. You're, but you, you, you make you make the right point there. Him and Hutchinson there. I'm not sure it works as a midfield too. Um, Hooper and Forestieri is is a pretty experienced strike force in the championship. Um, you, you have to give them that. They 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 are the types of players that you could see scoring against us. And I think Steve Bruce finally going four four two is an is an interesting one there. Um, but yeah, you're right. I don't know if the quality is quite there. Not not enough to take them up anyway. Um, I think certainly when you start looking at the bench and you start looking at who can come on uh, to to kind of to kind of trouble teams uh, when when they need to switch things up, you know you've got Adam New who's who's their backup striker, and I don't think that's you know incredibly yeah, positive. Yeah, definitely the type of um, player you want to lump the ball to New Hughes, massive massive player. Um, but it's a, it's four four two in the last match anyway. If I'm Villa and I'm looking, you know I've got Twanzavi on the bench. Chester might be back yet. I'm thinking this could be back three time. If they're playing two strikers up front, you counter that with a back three. Easy. Do you reckon? Look at the, well, when you look at the quality of those back, that back three, you could have House as the left back, yeah? Uh, as the wing back? Yeah, as a wing back. Yeah. Then you have Mings. Yeah. Chester. Twanzabi in the middle. And then you have Almo on the right as the right wing back. I think that's grand. To be honest, I'd probably leave... I'd probably put House in the back three and then leave one of Chester and Transibi out and leave Taylor out on the left-hand side. But yeah, I, I see that. But why are you changing the formation when we've won five on the bounce? I think when you look at the situation we're facing is a Steve Bruce team that is playing aggressive and they're playing at home and they've got something to play for and they've got two strikers. Two strikers who can make it happen. I mean, we're not 
we haven't talked about Gary Hooper in a long is time. Is Fletcher going to be back? Thomas Fallen. I don't think so, but he's a top scorer, right? And he's like a, he's a handful. He's a complete handful. Right. Okay. Yeah, he is. I knew who's massive. Like you have these underrated striking threats. Um, Stephen Fletcher hasn't played for him since the uh, the win over Blackburn. Um, before the international break. Ah, oh, it's it's a tough. I ask. think he's struggling for fitness for Stoke, but I I I'd imagine he might well be may well be fit for uh, uh may well be fit for the game. There's a lot of things Blackburn, um, sorry, Sheffield Wednesday can can pull, and uh, to be honest, I'm quite fearful. Look, you're right. Look, they've got they've got you know strikers who they can lump the ball up to, but is this no different to the to the Birmingham game? I guess it's almost like a mini derby, isn't it? Because there is a lot at stake. You know, there is the whole Steve Bruce thing as well. Right, he's going to come in for a bit of flack off the fans, and he's going to want he's going to want to prove something because Villa are in, are in his hands. We could have been a Premier League team. Oh, the Steve one Bruce. time he decides to, to attack. <laughs> well, you know, if he lets his team go for it, you've got two. You've you have a mixture of any two strikers that are new: who, Forestieri, Hooper, and Fletcher, who were pretty tricky. You know, and if they're not tricky, they're like a battering yeah, you're ram. Right, you're right. New who is is massive. He is massive. He's a brilliant player to like lump the ball up to. Um, and Fletcher is as well, right? And you've got a back two. Um, and you have to hope. Look, Mings can do the job and Howes can do the job, right? But they can only protect against one player at a time. If, they, if, if they're going forward with Adam Reach, right, and Barry Bannon backing up, you have a massive situation for an overload. If, if Taylor and Almo, if we're playing the same team as last time, if Taylor and Almo end on their game, we have problems. Yeah, the defence the defense are going to be the most important. But I think when you when you look at it, Sheffield Wednesday aren't going to hold the ball. We will have most of the possession. It's just the way that they play. And I think with our if we have a midfield three and they come out four four two again, which is what they've been playing under Bruce, I, I just I just think that we'll we'll end up kind of outclassing them. I know I sound ridiculously positive, which is just annoying, but I think I think that when you look at it sort of um head to head. I know Sheffield Wednesday have been have been piling up the wins and draws and they, they just haven't been losing games, but I just think that with our midfield, we really should be overloading them. Uh, and I, I just don't think they should have a chance, really. But it is going to be a case of, of Tammy Abraham being on um, being on his game to make sure that he taps in whatever opportunities he does get. Villa need to attack like the minute. We can't pussyfoot around a box, right? We need to slam slam goals. We we cannot. We try to disrespect that burn off in my mind. We didn't, we didn't maybe mean it, but we were passing around the box trying to make the perfect shooting chance and we were taking the piss in some circumstances. Sheffield Wednesday won't stand for that, and Blackburn barely did. Sheffield Wednesday won't have that. If we pick, if we lose the ball in the final third and the court out, I guarantee you that they want to score more than any other team against us. No, yeah, I I I, I agree that I, I I agree with that. Steve Bruce is always going to want to do that because um he did get a lot of criticism from Villa fans, and I think I don't think it was bad blood though. I don't I don't think it's anything like that. I don't think it's going to be any any. I don't think it's going to be any worse than sort of Paul Lambert wanting to be. Us. It is not bad blood, right? But you, there's this conversation going around Villa Gate crashing the playoffs. I'm telling you now, if Sheffield Wednesday beat beat Villa and then beat Forest, that is a true great crash. They have come back from nowhere. That's a massive gate crash. And Bruce is good at doing that, though. He's good at getting teams in the playoff, especially on that bounce. I don't know what happened with him earlier earlier on this season with us. But he got us into the playoffs last season, and this is what Steve Bruce is good at. Teams hire him, sort of, so that they can get promoted, and he's a specialist in it. I don't care. I don't care what anyone says. Whatever happened at Villa, 
whatever happened at Villa and whatever sort of level of job he did uh, did for us, he is very, very good at getting the job done for teams. If you look at his resume. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. I think uh, Villa have got a test on. So with that in mind, man, can I get your prediction? Look, if we beat them, it's slender. As I said, um, I don't think they've... I think they've only lost one game since uh, since, since the, they've, they've, their last manager got sacked. Um, I think they're going to be tough to beat. I don't know whether to go positive or negative on this one. Definitely not a defeat. Um, I'm very tempted to say a one-all draw here. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Villa win. Okay, good, 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 good. I'd like to see that. <laughs> no, I think um, either or could happen. I'd hope to God we don't lose because it would be a bit of a momentum breaker. Um, but if we lose, what I want to see is Villa bounce back instantly against Rotherham. Instantly, no, you know, no bones about it. Sometimes you maybe Villa do have a few losses left to pick up, but um, I hope that they can bounce back and earn some wins against teams they need to beat. Um, if they're going to lose, they need to pick up some points somewhere else, right? So uh, fingers crossed that we don't. But um, it'd be interesting. The neutral in me, look, I'm talking as a pure footballing neutral. I, It's almost like if Villa lose, so be it. I want to see if this team can bounce back from that. Yeah, true. Yeah. Because we haven't been tested like that since Jack Grealish has come back. We haven't had any adversity. It seems to have been far too easy for us. And it's not like I want to see Villa lose at all. But I'd be interested to see as a fan of you know Dean Smith, to see how he reacts to Villa losing. And like the only the only way that's going to happen, right, is if Villa lose. And I hope to God they don't. Yeah, but but last, it's still been interesting. But remember the last time that happened, uh, we, we ended sank. up going on an awful run. Yeah, we right. did. Um, but that was without without Jack Grealish. So maybe, I don't know, are the one-man team things fair? Well, this is... I, I saw something very interesting from, from, from... I saw a tweet from Matt Kendrick earlier this week. Very well-respected journalist. We, we've, we obviously, we also, you know, we also really respect. Um, I think he made the point that, uh, you know, basically look at John McGinn, look at Tyrone Mings, look at how well these guys are playing. And I, I, I get that. Because Jack Grealish isn't the only Villa player doing well at the moment. But the reality is, when you look at the evidence that we have, Jack Grealish is the only thing you can put down as the catalyst. Because before he was in the team, those same players were not performing to that level. So is it the case that Jack Grealish needs to be in the team for those other players to perform? Because if that is the case, that's still worrying. And that is still one-man team syndrome. Um, and that's that's how other you know, fans w- would look at us, James. And that, that does worry me. I forgot to take the match balls right. Okay. For the uh, Blackburn win. So we'll finish on a positive note. Yeah. Um, well, that. we've been pretty positive, but um, I think we need to choose our best players for the Blackburn match. I think we may as well just hold this, hold this feature to the end now because it's a nice thing to end on. Yeah, yeah. I want to know, man, who your favourite player, best player, the one who impressed you the most, the one you give it all to for the Blackburn match? Uh, so the first one for me is going to be John McGinn. The guy was ridiculous again. Just the way that he was... I mean, there was there was little moments in that game where he'd back up into a defender and just shield the ball and manage to, you know, hold it off enough for another midfielder to to kind of create an opportunity. You know, he, he himself created a beautiful opportunity. I, I know it wasn't his own assist, but when he tapped it, when he, when he curled it over to El Ghazi, that for me was beautiful. Um, and I thought, just again, he just ran the midfield himself. As as much as Gareth Southgate was there to watch Jack Grealish, I think he'll be a little bit jealous that John McGinn is Scottish. <laughs> yeah, um, 
exact same narrative for my pick because I think uh, it's a shame Glenn Whelan has picked up so many caps, as I said before, for Ireland because surely Gareth Southgate will be looking at converting him if that wasn't the case. I'm, my pick is Glenn Whelan. He's had, you know, the last two games he's had have probably been his best games of football in a long time. Interesting. And he's playing. Yeah, he's he's um, playing attacking football. It seems so like for the first time in his career, mate. He's had Pulis, Martin O'Neill, all these coaches, Bruce, you know, who who have played. They haven't played on the front foot or holding the ball, and it looks like Glenn Whelan. He's enjoying it, you know. He's playing. He had the best game he had for Ireland ever, midweek, and that was after he, he quote unquote retired. <laughs> he's come really? back, played played his best game for Ireland midweek. And then he's gone and done it for Villa as well. He looks the real deal and he's improved so much. And, you know, to hear his name being sung at Villa Park, Glenn Whelan, number six, is a is the real deal. I'm is, really impressed with him. Do you think it's Dean Smith's coaching which has brought that out of him? Well, yeah. And look, we're playing with the ball on the front foot. Glenn Whelan looks like he knows what to do. He wants to play attacking football and he has been slated so much for being, you know, we can't play good football with Glenn Whelan. We always lump it with Glenn Whelan. He doesn't want to do these things. Glenn Whelan wants to dribble. He wants to pass first time. He wants to dictate the tempo and he's doing all three of those things under Dean Smith for Villa. Look, he's had bad games, right? He has had bad games. Under Steve Bruce, he looked almost useless. Not useless in the fact where, you know, he was bad, but useless in the fact that he, he wasn't doing what he knew to do and what he knows to do are those three key things. He's like bloody Andrea Perla. <laughs> he is. It, it's, it, it's incredible to see the way he's come on. And look, sprinting around the pitch for 95 minutes at age 35, he's putting, in a way, he puts McGinn and Grealish to embarrassment. He's, he, he's giving it all. No, it's, giving it all. It is interesting that you've gone for him. He did have a very good game. Um, I did see him sweep the ball up a lot, and I, I just, I, I like, I'm a big fan of having that kind of midfielder. And I think the thing is, James, and I think the the, the reason why a lot of criticism came in for him earlier in the season is that he wasn't quite, quite doing that role to perfection. And I think that, you know, if you're playing in that holding midfield role, that is possibly, quite possibly, the most important role on the pitch because you are the quarterback there. You are the guy who's going to be expected to distribute. You're the one who is expected to stop attacks before they, you know, before they become dangerous. And you have to be on your game to play in that position. And fair play to him. He's not been under that pressure for the last few weeks or so. Uh, I, and you're, you're right. He's come on leaps and bounds. All around good game from McGinn and Whelan there but we've got one more to pick mate we need to pick we need to come together and pick that third player and there's a you know there's a few people you could pick out I mean you could pick out Grealish but you could definitely pick out Mings Abraham uh, Horse or El Ghazi I think El Ghazi always kind of goes unnoticed just a little bit because we play so much through the middle and he, he himself had a very good game but I think the the guy I have to give it to is Tyrone Mings uh, I think just yeah. again I think his leadership quality is is always um, always incredibly beneficial to the side, and I think for that goal again, uh, I think I, I, that 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 for me again, I just love the drive of him to kind of you know push forward and 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 make sure that he's contributing on the other end of the pitch. Uh, as I say, I think I said earlier that I think he's the most dangerous centre back we've had since Martin Larson. But I think you know we've had our James Collinses and Richard Dunns as well, who have always been good in that respect. But um, it's just great to have that other threat in the box because we didn't seem to have that threat. Um, pre-January anyway. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to give it Tyrone Mix. So thanks for joining me today, Danny. It's been a great show. No better way to end it than celebrating the free top men of yesterday. Um, you can find him 
Danny, of course, at Raza Journal. You can find me at Jeremy Rushton. You can get Cole at Talk Aston Villa and find us all together under 7,500 to hold. It's been an excellent show. And we'll see you next week when Villa hopefully, hopefully beat Steve Bruce and Sheffield Wednesday. Goodbye.